Please be seated. We have this formula that we invite into our worship every Sunday when we gather around where we grab these lectionary readings that scholars in the past have pushed together. And I would say from, from my experience being a preacher and preaching these passages year in and year out, they have about an 85% failure rate on like connecting the stories. That's usually like this really surface connection where it'll be like the, the Lucan nativity passage with the spirit, the angel coming to visit Mary. And they'll be like, well, like, you know, the Old Testament reading that they'll pick will be like Hannah. They're like, well, she's a woman and she had a son. So <laughs> the stories must go together. You know, it's this. Um, but this is one of those weeks where I think we're in the 15% where uh, there are two passages, at least two out of the three, that I feel like connect um, to the deeper point of the passage, this, this gospel message that we have. And the first one that I want to talk about is one of my all-time favorite lines um, from the Hebrew scriptures, this reading that we have from Habakkuk, the hardest name to pronounce in all of the history of being a reader in a church on Sunday morning. There's this line from Habakkuk that I adore, um, and it comes as, as God is prophesying to Habakkuk, and Habakkuk is prophesying to the people. He says, <clears throat> write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that a runner can see. And when I really begin to press myself down into that reading, um, I hear, and maybe you've, maybe you've seen this TED Talk or maybe you've read his book. Have you ever uh, seen Simon Sinek's TED Talk on the why? Yes, some of you? No. You're like, what are you talking about, Jimmy? John's seen it. Um, it's one of, and he writes a book about it too, of course, like most you know, TED Talks that go viral. It's a condensed version of the book. But Simon Sinek is is espousing this idea in reflection to communities, to businesses, to institutions. And he's the point that he's trying to make is that institutions that are centered around a clear mission, around a clear understanding of why they exist, are more successful than others. So we want to be attached to the why rather than the what. Why? do we make the fertilizer um, to grow more? To, we, we, we create fertilizer so that we can put it on plants and the crops could grow more effectively. No, we make the fertilizer because more corn grows and hungry people get fed. You know, it's just that idea of being um, intensely associated with a very clear and simple mission. And that's what Habakkuk is doing for us. He says, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that a runner can see. He wants the why to be so clear that when we're on our morning jog, when we run by the marquee, we see it. It's clear enough to come into our hearts just in a passing motion so we get it. We're like, okay, yeah, that's why we're here. That's why we're here. 
And we all know, those of us who come to St. John's Episcopal Church, we have a sense of the why. Why do we come here? Because we are beloved of God. We're so beloved that, that we feel compelled to share that with other people, something simple and clear. And then we have this wonderful passage from Luke. Luke, the physician, writes this story about Jesus and there are these details in the story that are important that we might just hear in passing. Likely, it's a story that's familiar to some of us in the church. Those of us who have been sitting these pews year in and year out, it cycles around. Uh, Jesus, Luke's Jesus, is on his way. If you know the geography of, of Israel, of the Holy Land where Jesus lives, Jesus is migrating from the north which is his home, Galilee, Nazareth, around the sea there. He's migrating down to Jerusalem. And the story begins with Jesus comes to Jericho. He's just passing through. See, Jericho is a place, a particular place in time, that was a waypoint. It was a place where people, you know, you didn't necessarily come to stay and live in Jericho, but you definitely passed through because it's along the Jordan River and it's a nice place to stop and gas up and get some coffee or a Red Bull so that you can continue the road trip on down to Jerusalem. And earlier at 8 o'clock, I compared it to Rollins. It's sort of like if you're, if you're on I-80 and you're headed to Denver from here, you're probably pulling off in Rollins you're probably gassing up. You're getting some coffee. Maybe you don't want to live there. Maybe you do. But it's, it's a waypoint. It's a place that's on the beaten path where you can catch your breath. And that's what Jericho is. Jesus is well known enough to travel with an entourage and to attract a crowd, right? And he does that. And then Luke begins to narrate um, some details about a particular character, right? This guy, Zacchaeus. And what Luke says about Zacchaeus is, um, is negative. We might not hear it that way, but it is. It says, first off, Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. Now, here's the deal. Tax collectors are pariahs when it comes to Israel and to the people. This is this is someone who's coming and exacting a tax from the occupying government, from the Roman government. So Zacchaeus works for the military and political occupiers of the land. That's his role. Not only is he a tax collector, right? There's another identifying detail. He's the chief tax collector. Strike one. So Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector is also short, right? He's a little guy. He's doing what little, guy does, little guys do. He's occupying that Napoleonic complex that we talk about here. He's the chief tax collector. He's a little guy, strike two. And then there's another detail, right? Did you hear it? He's the chief tax collector. He's a little guy and... He's rich. <laughs> Strike three. He's out. Zacchaeus 
moved by the message of Jesus, by the reputation of Jesus, runs down the road to get in front of the crowd. And because he is short, he climbs a sycamore tree. Now that detail is also important to us. What, what the narrator is trying to tell us is that he climbs one of the only trees in the land that's climbable. He has a spot above. It's not a mustard bush. It's not an olive tree because those aren't heavy enough. The cedars are the cedars of Lebanon. They're in the north. That's where we find those. Maybe there's a cypress tree or two back in that day during um, when, when the Jordan was really flowing, not like it's flowing now. Um, but for the most part, he's in the only climbable tree uh, that can get a view of Jesus while also bearing his weight. And he looks down upon Jesus, and when his entourage comes, Jesus looks up at him and says like, Hey, Zacchaeus, come on down from the tree. Um, we're going to head back to your place and have burgers and have a conversation. We're going to spend some time together. And so Zacchaeus... Um, being surprised with this enormous honor, scurries down the tree um, to make sure that Jesus and his companions are well cared for. And in that moment, in that relational transaction that happens here, the, the Pharisees, the religious authority of the day, um, people like me, and people like you, church-going folk, religious church-going folk, people like you and me are scorched. They are so angry and offended that Jesus would welcome somebody like Jesus, somebody like Zacchaeus, strike one, chief tax collector, strike two, little guy, strike three, uber wealthy guy, they are utterly flabbergasted that he would bring someone like this into his own presence, compromising the, the, the views about who and how the tribe acted and enacted their tribal rituals of the day together. This is a huge break in trust and in the welcomed ritual of the day. But here's the deal. And here's the rub. Um, maybe you, like me, feel that our culture in this day and age has become particularly tribal, um, that we are so divided that if a Republican were to sit down with a Democrat, um, the other Republicans would shun that Republican, or if a Democrat were to sit down with a Republican, the other Democrats would shun um, that particular Democrat. This idea that people from Teton County can't share supper with folks from Carbon County exists in our culture, right? We know it. And when it, it would be easy on a Sunday like this 
to stand up as a preacher and to tell you, you can listen to this story that we get about the actions of Luke's Jesus, and we can, we, the, the message of, of hospitality and welcome and inclusion um, comes, you know, right into our faces, right from the very beginning. And preachers like me could and, and have for centuries told you, like, don't be like those guys, be like this guy. Like, don't be closed-minded and tribal and exclusive, exclusionary. Be open and welcoming to just like Jesus and his cohort are. But I think when it comes to Habakkuk and Simon Sinek and, and Luke's Jesus, I, I, I would say I would preach that sermon to you that I'm describing right now. I would preach that sermon to you if I had any confidence at all that it would work. That it's just about us like taking in some information and opening our hearts and opening our minds so that we would become less tribal and more hospitable all in one beat, all in a Sunday morning, in, a, in an hour and four minutes. You know, it gets delivered here in church, and then all of a sudden our hearts are strangely warmed, and we find ourselves in a culture much more inviting and open and hospitable. But I don't preach that sermon to you because it doesn't work. It's people like me are not convincing enough um, to tell you, like, that this, this is the way to live. But I do believe when you come back to Habakkuk and when you come back to Simon Sinek and when you come back to the heart of the gospel, when you come back to God's action in the world from the very beginning of the story, making us in God's image to today, when we can get centered on the why, like, why do we do what we do? Why do we gather together as religious people? Why do we sit in these pews shoulder to shoulder facing forward toward a table, toward a dinner table that's supposed to symbolize us all getting together and sharing something week in and week out? The why here for us, if we can get to the why, the why here for us is because in the beginning, God made us in God's image, and we have become the object of God's love. There is nothing we can do or not do, nothing we can say or not say to separate us from the love that God has for us. And if we can stay connected to that why, to our own belovedness, then I believe our behaviors changed. You see, we need that corporate and that individual conversion experience to happen for all of us so that we feel grounded enough in love that we don't need those false, false tribal boundaries that bring us together in a certain particular way around around things that we have in common, common beliefs, common feelings, common practices. And as I was talking with the staff this week about this particular message, and I was like, how, like, how do we ground one another in this love? Like, how do we make the why so clear? We say it here almost every Sunday. 
Our, what is our work at St. John's? Our work is to cover this valley with love like snow covers it in the wintertime, right? But we know in order to actually accomplish that work, we have to be grounded. And we all sit in a circle in Hanson Hall. And, and I was like, look, it's like this. It's like you, you have to feel it. You should like just get down on the ground and lie on the ground. And when you get and maybe y'all should join me. <laughs> Somebody, just try it. Just get on the ground and feel it. That we become so grounded in this reality of being an object of God's love. And, and maybe it's not the floor, maybe it's you know, dinner around the table with your kids or that phone conversation that you have once a week with your, your sibling or your parent or your grown child or that touch you have on FaceTime with your grandkids. But like, what is it? What's that thing where you just feel loved, where you know like, yes, love is so much a part of who I am that I feel compelled to share it with others. The message that this particular gospel reading is delivering us is not about some like behave right gospel. The message that we're being sent here is about our identity, about who we are, and about why we are, why we are in existence. We are the object of God's love. And when we begin to have such a deep sense of being an object of God's love, the most natural thing that, that is birthed from that experience is an openness and a hospitality and a softness, a welcoming of others, even in their difference, because we know fundamentally at the core what exists, what is true about each and every one of us, that we are beloved. So what am I walking away with this particular Sunday? I'm walking away with the idea that the trajectory of my life is not a spreadsheet about the successes and failures that I have with behaving right, but the trajectory of my life and all the practice that I do is about keeping me centered, keeping me grounded, keeping me connected to the idea that I am beloved, so connected that I want to share that with others. And I believe that that is the trajectory for you too. Amen.